Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm Amen All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
have a choice to make in life. Turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come. He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm. Do not be deceived. There is a race to run. I listened to a young man, a very emotional testimony, listened to by thousands. In essence, he said he had two revelations from Jesus. And in these revelations, what he learned was that he did not have to run a race that Jesus ran the race for him, and he is now simply entering into the love of Jesus. And as he enters into the love of Jesus, everything is okay. There is no race to run. He said, I ran my race in vain. Because Jesus ran it for me. Do not be deceived. This was a highly emotionally charged testimony. But it was a lie. We do have a race to run. But. His testimony leads very easily into the next deception that Jesus has unconditional love for us and we simply need to give ourselves up to his love. Now, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us according to this man. He sees only Jesus. And so we're all flawed and sinning. Doesn't matter. You don't have you don't have to fight against your sin. You don't have to determine to follow Jesus. You're just included in Jesus. These seductive lies are destroying America. The corruption we see in America, I lay directly at the door of the false pastors who teach once saved, always saved, who teach unconditional love of God, who teach that all you need to be concerned about is love and forgiveness. It's all a lie. But it's winning the day in America, and so every kind of corruption 
can flow because what what's the issue? We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. No, you're not. You're on your way to hell. We have today in America a homogenized gospel where lots of people have put their input in, put their lies in, and then we're all supposed to drink that homogenized drink. I won't do it. Instead, I'm going to teach a doctrine that is not homogenized, that is not put in the blender and stirred up with all the lies of our culture. Let's be straight. And so I'm going to begin and read just a couple of scriptures for you to let you know that what I'm saying is straight out of the word of God. The first one, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. So then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, having already taken off and laid aside every conceivable weight, and the easily ensnaring sin, Through endurance, may we run the race being set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross, having disregarded shame, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For you must consider the one having endured such rebellion by sinners against himself, so that you may not be discouraged in your souls, losing heart. You did not yet oppose to the point of blood contending against the sin. I had a a pastor say to me, Ray, do you understand what he's talking about when he says you've not opposed to the point of contending? You've not not shed blood in the contending. What's he talking about, Ray? And I said to him, you have believed the lie that there is no race to run, that you have already won because Jesus died on Calvary. So you don't need to contend against your sin. You still walk in your sin, but you're saved, and you're a pastor, and you preach this. And then I gave him many scriptures and read them with him and talked with him. And finally, he said, Pastor, you have pastored me, and I see the lie. And from that point forward has walked clean before God. But he is running the race. If we go to Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready for my blood to be poured out. Indeed, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. 
When he says, I've finished the course, he says, I have run the race. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. As for what remains, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day, but not only to me, but to all the ones having loved his appearance. And then there's one more scripture. This is all just introduction for what I need to share with you today. Philippians, the third chapter, I'll begin reading for you at verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have laid hold, but the one thing I do, forgetting the things behind, reaching out toward the things that lie ahead with reference to the goal, I pursue toward the prize of the upward call of God to Christ Jesus. That was Paul's perspective. It is also mine. There is a race to run, and you can lose that race. That race outcome is not assured. You can lose your salvation. Now, I want to take us to Romans, the first chapter, as I promised. Let's speak first of the attributes of God. There are three classic attributes of God. Omnipotence, meaning all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. He can do anything he chooses to do. Second, omniscience. He knows all things. There's nothing that God does not know. He knows the future. He knows how you're going to respond to his call. He is not like we are. He is above and beyond time. And third, omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time. Now, A.W. Tozer, he was a wonderful Missionary Alliance minister, pastor, missionary, author, lecturer. He said the attributes of God, first of all, is that he's all-powerful. Second, that he is sovereign. He rules over heaven and earth. Number three, he is holy. He is set apart as holy. And number four, he is just. And number five, he is merciful. But I want to share with you what is not an attribute of God. Some of you will be surprised by my saying this. Righteousness is not an attribute of God. It is not reckoned 
It is not considered. It is not imputed. It is the regenerative work of God in our hearts. Now, what does the word regenerative mean? To totally restore. When Jesus walked on the earth and there was a leper who asked for healing, Jesus touched him and his body was completely restored. To regenerate is to make new. The gospel is about the restoration of man. It's about being made new, healed, restored. And then we walk in that righteousness. The scriptures are clear that righteousness leads to holiness. Now, Romans, Paul begins his thesis in verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel from the Christ. He would be ashamed of a gospel that talked about a man has to continue in his wickedness, but it's imputed grace. Paul would be utterly ashamed of that. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees until he met Jesus Christ. And then he discovered that righteousness is granted to man and that that righteousness makes him holy. Notice, for I am not ashamed of the gospel from the Christ because it is power from God for salvation to all believing ones. First, the word power is dunamis, from which we get dynamite. But the real meaning of dunamis is more than power. It's miracle-working power. When a person is born from above, when they're born as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, that man who is born from above, a miracle of God is created in his salvation. We cannot be saved by good works. No man will ever be made righteous by keeping the law. Righteousness is a free gift given to us that operates by faith. Now, let me continue. It is the power of God for salvation to all believing ones, both to Jew first and to Gentile. Indeed, righteousness from God is revealed in it by means of faith unto faith. It is God's faith that begins to function in us. It is a restoring of our of our mind, our body, our, our whole soul is restored by the righteousness of Jesus. But it's real righteousness. It's not make-believe righteousness. It's not, it's not imputed 
righteousness. The word righteousness, dikasune, was translated into Old English as to make righteous, to make holy, to make you into something you were not before. And so you come to this issue that is so vital, that salvation is by faith, but it is not a covering up of our sin. It is instead forgiveness, which is aphemy in the Greek. It is the removal of sin. Now that brings us to a very difficult point. And this is where Paul wants to begin. Paul does not begin the book of Romans by telling the sinner how much God loves him and how eager God is to forgive him. That's the wrong place to begin if you are going to truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not begin with sentimental, false love. It begins with an honest recognition of the truth of our condition before a holy God. I'll begin reading in Romans, the first chapter, verse 18. For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness or all wickedness and unrighteousness of men. Now let's go back to this word wrath. If you have not yet come to terms with God's anger at you, then you're not really understanding what the gospel is. God is filled with wrath against all sinners. You need to hear that. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Wrath is active. It takes specific steps to destroy, to confront. If you look at Noah, His two sons, his three sons, you look at Noah and God's wrath against the earth, God is not afraid to take people's lives. He took millions of lives when he sent the flood. It is a strange work for God. He does not desire to do so. But he cannot allow sin to rule on his earth. This earth was created by God and for God. It was created by an incarnate that we now know, Jesus. It was created by and for him. The Gospel of John, the first chapter, 
the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, Colossians, the first chapter. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, those holding down the truth in unrighteousness. So the wrath of God is being poured out against men and women, against boys and girls, who don't believe there's a race to be run, who believe that they're good to go. If you believe that today, God's wrath is against you and will finally destroy you. That's what Paul is saying in Romans, the first chapter. But let's go deeper. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident to them, for God manifested to them, for his unseen attributes Both his eternal power and deity are made clear from the creation of the world, causing understanding by the things made. The result among them is to be without defense. Because having known God, they glorified him not as God, nor thanked him, but were made vain in their reasoning. I want you to understand vanity, foolishness. Paul is saying that God acted on people's minds and caused them to become vain or foolish in their reasoning. And their senseless hearts were darkened. In other words, God darkened the heart of those who rejected the truth. He made vain or foolish the reasoning of men who believe that they can be saved in the midst of their sin and continue that sin. When we are saved, we are saved from sin or we are not saved. Professing, verse 22, professing to be wise, they were made fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God with a likeness of an image of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of reptiles. The foolishness continues today. This is what we see, men being made in their reasoning, vain, foolish, senseless, darkened, professing to be wise. But they're fools. And they worship corruptible men or women. Some of you worship Donald Trump. You think he is fantastic, a miracle worker. Donald Trump is a sinner, like all corrupt men are sinners. Can God use a corrupt man? Yes. 
he used Nebuchadnezzar and brought him into conversion. We, in America, worship our political figures. We worship our sport heroes. Some of you can give me all of the stats for the top football players in your favorite teams. You spend a great deal of time studying them, much more time than you have spent studying your scriptures or listening to the word. You worship Beyonce or the Kardashians or some other foolish idol that you have set up in your heart. Or you worship your animals. Many of you treat your animals like they were human beings, and you worship them. You worship them. Why? Because your heart has been made foolish. Animals are not to be worshipped. They can be friends, in the sense of an animal being a friend with a human being, but they're not to be worshipped. Dress them up in their cute little clothes and and push them around in a little stroller, carry them around on a bag on on your side, giving them little treats. Come on. It's ugly to see. Verse 24, for this reason, what reason? That they have not worshipped the Lord God of heaven. They have set up idols in their hearts. They have not given thanks and honor and worship to the living God of heaven. They have not submitted to him. Worship is when you say, this has worth. And I give myself to provide that worth. I worship them. For this reason, God handed them over in the lust of their hearts to moral uncleanness and to dishonor their bodies among themselves. What I want you to see is that God gives to us the gift of righteousness. And that righteousness is to do its work in our hearts, transforming us into worshipers of Almighty God. He wants to provide for us a home, a place. He wants to love us. He wants to provide for us. But as long as we are in rebellion, he will not do that. God instead hands over to the lust of the heart, to moral uncleanness, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature 
rather than the one having created, who is blessed forever? Verse 26, Because of this, God handed them over to uncontrolled sexual passions of dishonor. For even their women exchanged the natural sexual use into that contrary to men. And in like manner also the men, having left the natural sexual use of the female, they were burned out with their raging sexual cravings for one another, men with men, working shamelessness and receiving back in themselves the penalty which was due their deception. Now, there's something I want you to see here. When a man becomes a homosexual, that's not the real sin that God is judging them for. Oh, it is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Contrary to what the Pope says. Homosexuality is sin. But what I want you to understand out of Romans, the first chapter, is that God handed a man over to homosexuality because he refused to worship and acknowledge the living God of heaven. The gross sins of our life are all an evidence of God handing over to that sin because of the one sin of refusing to worship and honor the living God of heaven. And he's saying that all men are caught in this wickedness. Now, what Paul does in Romans 1 is he first identifies the sins in man, and then he goes to the Jews and to the Gentiles and says, all men have sinned. All of us have sinned and are not worthy to enter into heaven except the righteousness of Jesus is poured out into our hearts. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he brings to us, his righteousness. And he's able to do that because he paid the price on Calvary. Now, Jesus didn't forgive your past, present, and future sins. He made the provision to forgive the past, present, and future sins. But you must come to a place where you're ready to run the race and enter into the school of the Holy Spirit and walk clean before him. Now, let me continue. Because of this, that is, because of their perversion, God handed them over. Then verse 28, and as they did not approve to have God in true knowledge, the word knowledge literally means to understand how things work. I have a very superficial knowledge of how an automobile engine works. Oh, I know there are pistons. I know there are rings. I know there are valves. I know the basics. 
but I don't really know an automobile engine. And particularly today, as they are so controlled by computers. They did not approve to have God in true knowledge. In other words, they didn't know God's ways. They didn't know his righteousness. They didn't know what his demands were because they turned away from them and wanted nothing to do with them. They wanted to go in their own lust. God handed them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that ought not to be done, having been filled with all unrighteousness. Now, he gives us a hit list. Sexual immorality. Wickedness. Coveting. Evil. Full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, malice, whispers or gossipers, evil speakers, God-haters, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, without natural affection, unforgiving, unmerciful, they having fully understood the just requirements of God that the one participating and practicing in such things are worthy of death. Not only they do them, but they also approve of the ones who do these things. Do you approve of the violence on television? Do you approve of the violence on the YouTube? Do you approve of the violence? If so, then you're held accountable and are guilty of that same violence. What you love, like if you love with all of your heart, Mr. Trump, then you are guilty of every wicked thing he has done in his life. And by his own confession, he has done many wicked things. If you love Beyonce or some other foolish person like Cher, then you participate In their wickedness, you love to go to the concert and listen to this person sing and perform and dance. Your heart is filled with lust. You're guilty of it, as though you had done it. Remember, Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, you have already murdered him. If you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her. So, as I understand it, we are without defense before a holy and righteous God, and his wrath burns against us. I want to say this with understanding. God hates America. Now, that may shock some of you. Why would I say such a thing? 
I'm a patriot. I love America. But God hates America. Why? Because our land is soaked with the blood of innocent children and babies. Our blood, our land is soaked with the blood of brothers in the Civil War. Our land is soaked with the violence and the wickedness of the gangs of Chicago and New York, L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. These wicked cities soak the ground with their with their blood. They turn men and women away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. God hates violence. God hates bloodshed. So if we are full of hatred and violence and we are full of bloodshed, is it not fair for me to say God hates America and America is going to face the most horrible judgments you can imagine? I'll share more with you later. what some of those judgments will be. But America will be totally destroyed and uninhabitable. Because God is so angry with this nation. And we are, as a nation, without defense before a holy and righteous God. Makes me want to weep. How is that possible? Let me read for you the descriptor that God gives of all men before they receive Jesus Christ. There's not a righteous man, not even one. This is Romans, the third chapter, beginning in verse 11. There is no one understanding. There is no one seeking God. Every conceivable man turned away. Together they became morally depraved. There is no one doing what is right. There is not so much as one. Their throat is like a grave having been opened. They were working deceit with their tongues. Venom of deadly vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitter trouble. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Devastation and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they know not. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is also a description of the earth. When God called Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the earth. That was the wrath of God poured out against this wickedness that I've just described. I want to read for you one more brief passage. Now we know that whatever the law says, verse 19, this is Romans 3, 19, it speaks to the ones in the sphere of the law 
so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may come under judgment by God, because no flesh will be made righteous before him by means of works of the law. For by law is the full knowledge of sin. Now at the present time, apart from law, righteousness out from God has been made known, being confirmed by the law and the prophets. Indeed, righteousness is out from God through faith by means of Jesus Christ to all and upon all the ones believing. All conceivable men, verse 23, all conceivable men have sinned and fall short of God's glory, being made righteous freely by his grace, by means of the redemption in Christ Jesus. God is here today, my brother, my sister, to give to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you will confess your sin before him, if you will humble your heart before Jesus, if you will ask him to come into your life and bring his righteousness to transform you into a new creature in Christ Jesus, he will do that for you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that now you're loved and accepted and you're on your way even though you still walk in utter wickedness before God. His righteousness is regenerative. It transforms you. It makes you into a new creature. It breaks from you every bondage of sin. It breaks from you every addiction, drugs, sex, whatever the addiction is. It breaks it. It sets you free. You are in Jesus Christ, a new creature. This work comes about by you putting your faith in Jesus Christ and asking him to come humbly, bowing before him. Jesus did not run the race for you. You must run your own race, but it will be Jesus in you. That is the hope of glory, that Jesus dwells in us, that we are part of the vine that we were brought into that vine, and we walk clean and free by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the question is, will you be made righteous by confessing your sin? Repenting, and to repent means to leave my sin. Will you confess and take responsibility for your sin? And will you turn away from it? And will you receive the fullness of the righteousness of Jesus in your life where sin no longer can exist because you have been saved from sin? Or you'll still make mistakes, but sin is a deliberate voluntary choice to rebel against the Most High God and to go your own way. Will you do that now? Will you get on your face before God? 
Will you admit the wickedness of your heart? Will you turn away from your sin and ask Jesus to bring the fullness of his righteousness into your life? If you will do that, he will come. Lord Jesus, I come today knowing that every deception is flowing out there in our culture, especially the deceptions about how we're saved and what we must do, the lie that you ran the race for us when you did not. We must run the race for ourselves, but with you in us, empowering us and teaching us and guiding us. Lord, thank you. I worship you today. I praise and honor and glorify the name of Jesus. It is the name that is above every name. Thank you, my Lord. Glory, praise, and honor belong unto you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I'd love to hear from you. If you made a decision today to totally surrender, to follow Jesus Christ, to allow him to bring his righteousness into your life, and you are willing to leave your sin, then write to me and tell me you made that decision today. Write to Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 21, I'm sorry, 2346. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. NationalPrayerChapel.com. I also want to share with you that the radio bill for the month of January is paid. I'm very grateful to each one of you who sacrificed some of you. It was a great sacrifice. It may have only been Nine or ten dollars, but it was still a great sacrifice. Some of you have given as you were able. And when we put it all together, the money is there for this work of the gospel. I praise God for that. I'd love to meet you. I know that this is not an easy message. I urge you to read for yourself. Romans 1, 2, and 3. I'll come back to this again tomorrow. I'll review it, and then we'll go further. I come on this broadcast for only one reason, that as many of you as possible could be saved and enter into Jesus Christ, not into the false church, but into Jesus Christ. God bless you today.
Lord, I come as we close this broadcast today, knowing, Jesus, that you alone are the Messiah, the Christ, and that you came and died on Calvary to make available to me a wonderful atonement, knowing that you are my atonement, that you laid your life down on Calvary, and you made all of the arrangements for me to be able to come and appropriate that incredible gift, sacrificing your life for me. Lord, I thank you. I pray for those in the valley of decision today who have been lied to, who have believed the lies, who have been continuing to walk in unrighteousness. Lord, would you come and meet them today? I pray in your holy name. Amen. To present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy With great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory